Thank you, Jesus. Wherever you are today, would you just just take your, your, your right hand and place it on your heart today? Father, my heart is yours today. I may have given it to you 30, 40 years ago. I may have given it to you only a few weeks ago, but today I reaffirm my heart is yours. It belongs to you. The Bible says that I'm to love the Lord by God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. And I, 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 Father, pledge my heart, my affections to you today. Father, there's a lot of distracting noise out there today, but my heart, my heart is focused upon you. My affections are focused upon you. And it anchors me through every one of the storms and every one of the uh, pestilent noises that's blowing in the wind today. Father, my heart is focused on you. And I thank you that your heart is focused on me. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that I love you because the Bible says you first loved me. And you gave your son for me as a ransom for me. And I thank you today. My heart is yours. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team. Amazing morning in the presence of the Lord. I praise God. I trust that this morning, wherever you're watching from, that you could, you could just sense the presence of God in your, in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever you're watching today, that, that it was just as thick as it was in here today that we could experience God's presence in a tangible way today. And, and, you know, I want to start off today by rejoicing. You know, we've been praying for God to, to, to do a work, and I know that, you know, we're seeing the numbers of people infected coming down provincially, but can I say, you know, around here uh, that this is amazing. Yesterday, as the update came through on the Hastings Prince Edward County uh, health page, uh, our numbers of infected in this region are Two people down. We're down to two people. Praise the Lord. And can you put your hands together for that? We praise the Lord for that. We're just, I know you're all looking forward to being able to get back to normal and having a normal life and all the rest of it. I know you are. But aren't you glad that in the midst of it all, that we have a God who has not forsaken us? He has not left us. He has been with us through it all. Amen. And so we rejoice in the fact that God is uh, with us, and we rejoice in those numbers here in this region, and uh, we're believing this week it's going to go down to zero, and uh, praise God, we are so grateful for that. Well, today, my message today is, is entitled, Faith is a Call to Action. Faith is a Call to Action. And I, you know, I've heard people preach sermons called Faith is a Verb. Well, grammatically, it's not. So you you can't really preach that, but you can say that faith is a call to action, and that is indeed what it is. I want to start with a fable. I want to tell you a little fable here this morning. And uh, a voyaging ship was wrecked during a storm at sea, and only two men survived, and they were able to swim to shore on a deserted uh, desert island. For whatever reason, the two uh, survivors decided that they knew the only way they were going to get off this island was through prayer. And for some reason, they decided to see whose prayers were more effective. So they decided to divide the island in half. First man would go to one half of the island, and he would pray. And the other man would go to the other half of the island, and he would pray. And they thought, we'll see how God answers our prayers. So the first day, they both prayed for food. And the next morning, the first man saw a fruit-bearing tree on his side of the land, and he was able to eat its fruit. And a man on the other half of the island, though, it remained barren. 
After a week, the first man was lonely, so he decided to pray for a wife. And that night, another shipwreck happened, and only one person survived. This woman swam to shore. There she was. And he thought, man, God has provided for me a wife. As the weeks went on, he, uh, he prayed for a house, for clothes, for food, and it was just like magically all of those things were there, and yet the guy on the other half of the island, nothing. Finally, the man prayed for a ship so that he and his new wife could get off of the island, and the next morning, wouldn't you know it, there was a ship moored at his half of the island, and him and his wife were able to board and were able to leave. And uh, since the other man's prayers had, had uh, not been answered, the first man decided to himself, well, I don't, I don't really think he's worthy to be saved. So he left him on the island, and him and his wife got on the boat, and they began to leave. I did say this was a fable. And they began to leave. And uh, as they were leaving, a voice boomed from heaven and said to him, he goes, why are you leaving without your companion on the island? He goes, well, my blessings, he said, and my, are the result of my faith and my prayers. And since I prayed and God provided, and he prayed, and God didn't, you didn't do anything, then, you know, I don't know that he deserves to be delivered from this island. And God said, you're sorely mistaken, because you are in debt to him. How's that, the first man said. He said, because it was his great faith that invoked the blessings, for he prayed that all of your prayers would be answered. I say that today because a lot of times we look at the blessings in our life, and we look at where we are, and we think, man, my, I am where I am because I am so blessed because I am just a man. I am just a woman of faith. And yet I'm here today to tell you that there is no such thing as a self-made, self-made man or woman of faith. We are all the byproduct of other people praying for us. And you know what? Many times we think that we're walking in blessing and everything else because we've been just so good, and we start living like we think that this is a, uh, you know, uh, a earn-deserve kind of relationship we're living, which is completely contrary to the grace message. Many times what you're walking in, the grace you're experiencing, the, the favor that's on your life is because other people have mined those things out in the presence of God on your behalf. The truth is it's almost impossible to say whether it was your prayers or somebody else's prayers. All we do is know is that prayer moves the hand of God. And I think the most effective prayers that we pray are the ones where we're asking God to bless someone else. Amen? I remember uh, uh, C.T. Studd, I believe it was, who he ran um, uh, 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 orphanages, I think he called them, <laughs> during the great uh, plague in, in England. And uh, anyway, sorry, it was George Mueller. And, um, and he ran those there, and he was taking kids off the streets and everything else, and he kept a journal, a most amazing journal of everything he prayed for and every answer to prayer. And he remember him once saying, he said, everything I ever asked God for, he gave me. And someone said, what is the key to having every one of your prayers answered? He said, it's simple. He said, I never asked for anything for myself. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for anything for yourself. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, God delights in doing good things for his children. And when you go to your parents and you say, Mom, Dad, could you help me? Could you bless me? Don't they do everything they can? I mean, if it's healthy, they bend over backwards to make it happen for you, right? But what I am saying is that when we go to God on behalf of somebody else, when we go to God and we're calling upon him on behalf of somebody else, when we're responding to the need that we see around us, God is faithful to answer our prayers. Amen? So today we're going to see that 
faith is, is a call to action. That faith is powerful, especially, everybody say especially, especially when we invoke it on behalf of others. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 14, and we're going to read verses 14 right through to verse 26. James chapter 2. And it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to, uh, to know, O foolish man? But do you know, I want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son in the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now that is a powerful, and practical call in Scripture. You know, early in our church history, we had a small group together, and uh, one of the gentlemen that was in our small group, an elderly gentleman, Bruce Switzer, uh, he, was, he always had some of the most uh, powerful, short little statements that he made. And he made one simple revelation one night in our small group, and he just looked at us all and he said, you know, he said, sometimes he said, it's just the need is the call. The need is the call. In simple terms, what Bruce was saying is exactly, he was just putting into modern English exactly what James had said in the Scripture when he said, you know, faith without works is dead. Because James asked the question, he said, if a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you should say to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, James is declaring that the need was your call. And when God presents us with a need, we have received our calling. This understood connection, this understood connection between need and between call has been the centerpiece of the Christian church throughout history. No matter where you travel around the world, and I'm, I've been privileged to travel to a lot of places, 20-some countries of the world that I've visited and been a part of, and I, no matter where I travel around the world, there is evidence of this connection between need and calling. God's people are responding to that no matter where you go. Even here in Canada, our landscape is littered with a history of God's people seeing a need and responding to it as the call. Virtually every hospital in this country, at least any hospital that's more than 50 years old, was started by Christians who responded, who responded to the need and took it as a call and started that hospital. Our own hospital here in Belleville, 
uh, has a wing de- dedicated to, you know, the, the Women's Christian Association because they were the ones who started the hospital in the city of Belleville. They were a group of believers who saw a, a, a need and took that as the call of God, and they answered the need and created our hospital. Our, our universities, all of our universities were started as seminaries, a place to educate because they saw a need for there to be people out there who, who could easily and rightfully handle the Word of God to train them so that they could carry out the work of ministry, and they were started as seminaries. Later, they added law and, and engineering and medicine, but they started as seminaries, uh, uh, seeing a need and responding and taking it as the call of God. If you look at the civil rights movement in the United States, you know, the, uh, the abolition of slavery. If you look at all of these things, whether it's from William Wilberforce, uh, you know, in England, who, who was the one to get to end the slave trade uh, in the colonies, right forward to, you know, abolitionists of the 21st century, you will see Christians always at the forefront of leading the charge to end slavery and to end uh, racism in our world. Everywhere you look, today, today, everybody say today. No matter where you look in the world today, the majority, I mean the vast, overwhelming majority of non-government organizations, NGOs, are Christian, working to bring healing and education and health care to the masses around the world. They're Christians. I've never ran into an atheist NGO yet that was operating in other parts of the world. I'm not saying that there aren't any. I've just never ran into any. Everyone that I've, I've encountered, everyone that I've been with, everyone that I've seen, everyone that I've, I've, I've observed operating are, are people of faith standing in there and doing it because they see the need and, it's, and they respond as a call. The need is the call. When it comes to changing the world, no one has been more active in accomplishing that task than the people of God. It's called faith in action. Amen. You know, as a pastor, the number one question I get asked by people all the time is, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. You guys get asked that before? Yeah, what is God's will for my life? People, they want to know, what is God, what does, he, what does he want me to do? You know, and there's a lot of verses that, that maybe speak about the will of God, but um, they don't usually tell you, go out and do A, B, or C, right? And I'll explain to you why that is. You know, interestingly, I I discovered this week something that was monumental. I discovered that nowhere in the Old Testament, everybody say nowhere. Nowhere Nowhere in the Old Testament is the phrase will of God found. I know, you're already starting to question me. You can search it on your phones or whatever. The phrase will of God is found 17 times in the Bible. The first one is in Mark, and they go forward from there. They start in the Gospels, and they go forward from there. Nowhere in the Old Testament is that phrase will of God found found. Interesting, isn't it? And I thought to myself, why is that? Why, why do we not read of the will of God, that phrase, the will of God in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant? I think the answer is pretty simple. Because in the Old Covenant, the will of God was simply keep the law and his commandments, right? It was, it was non-relational. It wasn't personal. It was keep the law. It was operate according to these rules and then you're doing the will of God. So it was keep the law and, and, and then, you know, keep the commandments. But in the New Testament, we come into the new covenant 
We enter into community. We enter into relationship. We enter into a covenant with Christ that's built on love and affection and on community with our Heavenly Father. And now all of a sudden, the will of God is not as simple as just keep the law and the commandments. The will of God is something that we, we discern as we get together in relationship with God and we fulfill his will. Do you get that this morning? Do you understand that? We are in covenant relationship. We've entered into a totally different world than people in the Old Testament had available to them. And we cannot fulfill God's plan, God's will on the earth without getting together with him and finding out what he has commanded us to do. You see, further proof of that, in the, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, there was no call of God to evangelize. Jews were not told to go out and make more Jews. You could become a Jew. You could become what they call a, a Jewish proselyte. You could convert to Judaism if you chose, but there was no compulsion in the Old Testament to go out and to make uh, believers of the world. Instead, you know, what we were to, they were to do was to simply show that they were God's people by keeping the law and his commandments. But in the New Testament, in the new covenant of his blood, we're told to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and to be able to lay hands on the sick and, we, and to respond to this and to respond to that. And we need to get our marching orders, our call, our understanding of the will of God for our life. We've got to get it from relationship with him. Are you hearing me this morning? It's no longer just follow the rules. It's walk in community with me. I was reading Jim Dennison's uh, weekly blog a couple years ago, and he cited a new Harvard medical study which investigated the physical health and mental health of children and teenagers who were raised with religious and spiritual practices in North America. Now, the largest influence there would be Christian, right? And so this is what they found. Those who attended religious services at least once a week as children or teens were 18% more likely to report being happier in their 20s than those who did not attend services. They were almost 30% more likely to do volunteer work, 33% less likely to use drugs in their 20s. In addition, people who prayed and meditated individually on a daily basis had more life satisfaction, were better able to process their emotions, and were more forgiving. Forbes' article concluded this on that. They said, some of the fundamental habits that humans have been doing for eons, praying and meditating on the scripture, might actually have a lot more value than we tend to think. <laughs> As we like to say around you, do you think? Of course they would, you know? Jim Dennison made this observation at the end of the article. He said, by God's design, a divine human partnership is essential to human flourishing. And I say amen to that. But I want to add something to that. I would submit to you today that by design, a divine human partnership is essential, is essential to God's kingdom flourishing as well. That just as we flourish in that divine human relationship, so does God's kingdom flourish and advance in that divine human relationship. Amen? That's what God's plan is. That is God's will, is for us to flourish in that community with him and for his kingdom to flourish as a result. It was God's vision to place this domain under the dominion of man. He declared that right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he told us to go forth. We were to have dominion over this realm. God created this 
for us. Everybody say, for me. He created it for you. He created it for me. He created it for us. God wanted earth to be a place where his kingdom reigned through his children, where Adam and Eve were given authority over the animals and the plants. And I mean, it was all to submit to their authority. God wanted us who were created in his image to have this place where we walked in his authority. When Adam and Eve fell in Genesis chapter 3, God wasn't taken by surprise. It's not like he went, wow, didn't see that coming. No, God had a plan. God had a plan. And what happened when Adam and Eve fell, they didn't just, you know, enter into sin and lose, you know, eternity with God. No, no, no. What they lost also was authority here in this realm. Remember, they were cut off from the garden, right? They were, they were if you want to, kicked out, if you will. I mean, they had to now work from the labor of their hands. The, the ch- childbirth became a painful process. It was all shifted because of the effect of sin. Their authority in this dominion their authority in this dominion was taken away. Then the Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth to become a sacrificial blood, to shed his blood on the cross for our sins, not just so he could get us to heaven. Are you hearing me this morning? He didn't die on the cross and shed his, sins just, his blood for our sins just so that he could get us to heaven, but so that he might restore his kingdom. And we need to deal with our sin in order to be useful to him, in order to be able to have a relationship with him, in order to enter into community with him. I mean, we have to deal with the sin problem because we can't bring that into his presence. However, it isn't just about getting rid of the sin and getting you to heaven. It's about you living out God's perfect will and plan and dominion for your life and for his kingdom right here, right on earth, right now. And historically, the church of Jesus Christ has understood that. It's only been in the last hundred years that we've kind of backed off from that. Historically, we've, been, we've went forth and we've spread the gospel around the world. We've, we've opened orphanages and schools and fed the poor and opened hospitals. And, and we've just, everywhere we went, we've lifted the culture so much so that, that many anthropologists call that, that movement, they call it redemption and lift when a culture experiences the gospel and their culture is lifted out of so many previous uh, uh, problems and harms that were in their culture. But when faith was introduced, when God was introduced, everything became lifted up. In God's vision, it's his vision that we would embrace that kingdom role with him and that we would share the good news of the kingdom with those around us. We would establish his kingdom wherever we go and that we would add to his family as many as possible and change the world in the process. That's God's call. That's God's vision. That's his desire desire. That's his heart. That is God's will. You know, let me conclude by by just talking for a few minutes about the vulnerability of God. Whoa, 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 you say. Whoa, God's not vulnerable. God's all-powerful, right? He's omnipotent. That's what that word means, pastor. He's all-powerful. Yes, I know what it means. But I would submit to you that God is vulnerable. God has a vulnerability. You know, if you've ever watched movies where somebody's captured by the enemy and they want to get information out of that person, but that person's committed 
to the cause, committed to the cause, right? A lot of times the enemy understands something. They understand that that, that person's not going to talk. And the only way you're going to get them to talk is if you can find out what their vulnerability is, right? And, and, and if they're really committed, they have no vulnerability except for one, their family. You can do anything you want to me, right? And I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to give up the information. But you'll notice how many times in those movies they think if I can get at their family and then they bring a family member in front of them and all of a sudden they cave because they have a vulnerability. That vulnerability is their family. Can I submit to you this morning that God only has one vulnerability as well? It's his family. God's vulnerable to his children. Come on now. His heart has a vulnerability. It's us. It's his children. It's his children. Bill Johnson, he, he, he says, when it comes to this new covenant relationship, God is now vulnerable to our desires. He said, in other words, he said, if it's important to you, it's important to him. That's a, I remember when I first read that, I was like, whoa. That level of vulnerability? Yes. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Now, you got to work with me on this. You got to track with me because I think this is probably uh, one of the most key things for you to get as we talk about faith. That we, we don't just have faith in some kind of a mystic force floating around the cosmos who every once in a while goes down to the earth and touches things and does things, some kind of a nary fairy mystic, you know, new age kind of belief. No, no, no. We believe in a God who sent his son, his, so he would sacrifice his own life that he might be reunited with his creation, you and me, and that we could be drafted into his family as joint heirs, co-laborers, co-kingdom rulers, kings and queens on this planet, that we could be in the family with him. That's the God we pray to. That's the God that we have faith in. And so when we come to God in faith, we come to God believing that he is and that I'm in relationship with him and that he will answer the prayers of those who diligently seek him. What does that mean, that diligently seek him? Those who want relationship with him. God hears our prayers. Wow. My faith, my faith is is rooted in the depth of my relationship with God. And when you begin to grasp this, then you begin to understand what James was actually saying when he said that faith without works is dead. Faith, in other words, acted upon in, as partners with God, fulfilling the work of the kingdom. That's the kind of faith. And it's impossible to have that kind of faith and to not do something with it. That's why he said faith without works, without the manifestation of working in the kingdom and in the family business, if you will, is dead. Because it's evidence that you don't have any relationship with him to start with. For if you really knew God, if you, if you were walking with him, it, 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 it has to produce a change in your life. It changes who you are and how you operate. You know, God's desire to partner with humanity was even seen in the Old Testament. 
we've seen in the Old Testament where we read about God interacting with Abraham and calling him friend and, and God working with Moses and David. He, he loved every opportunity he got, even under the Old Covenant, to be able to work with his children to change the outcome of things here on earth. He loved it. But then when we come into the New Testament, into that covenant relationship with God, it's all about working that way. It's all about working that way. See, when we come into the New Testament, we're no longer talking about an autocratic system where you got this ruler who is supreme over everything and he just does what he wants. No, no, no. When we come into the New Covenant, he no longer operates like that. He only operates. Everybody say only. Only operates in relationship with his children. God has chosen to operate in community with us. He invites us into his presence to sit around the table, if you will, with him and to strategize for the advancement of his kingdom here on earth. The covenant friends of God throughout history have always had a common awareness of God's expectation that they would be involved with him, influencing him, influencing God in the matter of the outcome of something. Again, we saw it in the Old Testament when God said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham pleaded with him and he said, would you, would you, would you just do it if, if I found even 100 godly or 50 godly? And he goes, would you do it if you found even just a family? And then God relented because of his relationship, because of Abraham tugging at his heart. It wasn't because Sodom and Gomorrah deserved the mercy. It was because of a man standing before God, willing to say, God, would you please? Would you please? And God said, yes, because of you, I will. And now in the New Testament, it's like that all the time. God says, this is how I'll operate because it's what you desire. And together, together, he invites us into relationship to partner with him. The bottom line is this. God wants you to be a part of his decision. He wants you to be a part of his process and his plan for humanity. God has invited the church to join with him in this new covenant relationship where we, we get to forge the outcome of the planet. Think about this for a minute. It's what God has chosen. The new covenant is filled with an amazing list of promises that reinforce this truth. Each one is, a, is basically a blank check to be used throughout your life for the expansion of the kingdom of God. The Gospel of John alone contains numerous declarations by Jesus that are almost bold enough to make you blush. Can I read some of them for you today? Listen to this. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Does that sound like a God who's just going to, an autocratic, you know, leader who's just going to do whatever he wants? No. He said, you can ask whatever you wish and I, it will be given to you. Wah. How about John 15, verse 16? He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John 14, verses 12 to 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. This is pretty potent stuff, don't you think? John 16, 23 and 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you, will not, you have not asked for anything in my name. But ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You see, what is John basically telling us? That we're not puppets on a string, and he is not some kind of doting grandfather floating in this cosmos, you know, uh, who's just kind of created the earth and now just watching it evolve and occasionally popping down to go, oh, here's a little blessing, here's a little blessing, here's a little blessing. No. We do not simply robotically, mindlessly do his bidding, and he does not just simply mindlessly fulfill our requests. It's so much more than that. As part of the family of God, he actually makes himself vulnerable to our desires so that if it matters to you, it matters to him. If you desire it, then he will do it. Do you understand what I'm saying today? There are so many times my, my kids have come to me and, as they've grown up and, you know, and they've said, please, Dad, please. And it's only because they went, please, Dad, please. And looked at me with that look. And I've said, sure. And before they said, please, Dad, please, I had no desire of doing it at all. Wasn't leaning that way at all. But because they looked at me and said, please, Dad, please, I went, oh, all right. And I did it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you know anything about that, Abby? Sure she does. She's done that a few times. Barry, have you succumbed to that? Those eyes looking at you saying, please, Dad, please? Sure you have. Is there any reason why in Scripture God describes his relationship as a father with his children? Because he's vulnerable to please, Dad, please. He's vulnerable to it. When we say, Daddy, Daddy, please, please. And he's especially vulnerable when we say, Daddy, Daddy, please, please, because we want to bless someone else. I mean, when your kid comes and says, Dad, I I need some money because i got to help this friend at school, what are you going to do? Say, no, we don't help friends. No, you say, how much do you need? And you empower your child to be a blessing to somebody else, to be somebody else's answer. Well, God wants to empower you to be somebody else's answer. God wants us to be answer solution oriented people. And he's empowered us to be answer-oriented solution people. My goodness. Thank you, Lord. The true child of God is part of the family of God. And together we exchange dreams with God that change the world. That's how it works. There's so much more I could say about this. I could preach about this for three weeks, but... You know, shortly before her death, are you ready for this? Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she was asked why she spent her life caring for the dying. You know what she said? You ready for this? She said, because I like doing my own thing. What? She said, because I like doing my own thing. Mother Teresa had captured in that response the meaning of St. Augustine when he said this. He said, love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you please. Mother Teresa had taken that to heart. She said, I like doing my own thing, and this is my own thing. I love being a blessing to these people. You know, some people would like to think, oh, she did it because that's what God told her to do. Well, not according to Mother Teresa. 
She did it because she liked doing her own thing. This is what she loved doing. And she loved being an answer to people at the worst point in their life. Are you hearing? Are you starting to understand what I'm talking about today? See, God wants us to live so close to him, so close to him that we can do what we want. God invites you to a relationship with him as your father, to sit around the table planning the future of the planet. He invites you to get that close to him, that in sync with him, that close to his heart, that you can leave his presence and do whatever you please because it will please him. Why? Because we've been with the Father. Because we've been with the Father. Oh, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because if you've truly been with the Father, you can't leave his presence and want to go out and sin. Not if you've really been with the Father. Are you hearing me? You ever tried being in prayer and contemplating sin at the same time? Kind of difficult to do. You know, if you get into his presence, it changes you. You are altered from the inside out. And it manifests itself in you wanting to do things that will change the world. That is who we are. And when we operate and when we understand faith as that which connects us to the Father so that we can manifest his glory and his presence and bring his kingdom to earth, When we understand that, then God says our faith can move mountains. Our faith can shift the world. We can ask him anything, and he's going to do it. Why? Because we've been with the Father. We've been in his presence. Let me share just two, three more verses really quickly with you this morning. Some of those will of God verses that are in the New Testament only. Here's one of them. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 2.15. When we accept God's invitation to this partnership that I'm talking about, and we step out in faith, doing the good things that are in our heart, the result will be that because of our communion with him and acting upon that communion with him, we will silence the mouth of the enemy. You know, a lot of times we get criticized as a church. We get criticized by the world, called hypocrites and everything else. When do we get criticized? We get criticized when we claim one thing and we do something that's contrary to it. But we're not criticized when we go and feed the poor. We're not criticized when we go and lay hands on the sick and they recover. We're not criticized when we do things to be a blessing to other people. The world doesn't criticize that because they see that as us manifesting his glory here on earth. Because Jesus himself said that you'll do your good works before men and they will glorify the Father in heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You see, after we walk out of his presence and we do his will, and his will is simply to live in communion with him and then to do the things that, he, that are in our heart. That when we, we do that, when we operate that way, then he says you're going to receive the promise. And if you you keep on fighting, and if you keep on doing what's right, you'll receive the promise of God. I want you to notice something. In Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, get down to verse 39, 40. Let me conclude with this verse this morning. It says this, And all these, speaking of everybody from 
Abraham right through to Rahab. It says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Everybody say, did not. Did not receive the promise. Wow, really? They didn't? That's right, they didn't. Old covenant. They didn't. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What? In other words, the promises of God for, you know, to, to all of those Old Testament saints, the promises attached to every one of their acts of faith and obedience could not be fulfilled until Jesus came and we were grafted into his vine and then and only through his blood-washed saints could they experience the completion of the things that they had labored for those years ago. That the promises are only available to those who are sitting around the table through covenant in Jesus Christ. As blood-washed saints, you and I have been redeemed, adopted, and added to the family and been invited to come into his council and boldly request and strategize and accomplish things that will change the world. And as we do that, all of the culmination of the things that the people in the Old Testament stood in faith for will be fulfilled through God's people, through his church, through you, and through me. This is the promise of the Word of God. Oh, if you could just get it this morning. If you could just get it. If it could just settle into your heart that, that what God is yearning for is for you to get into communion with him, to be in his presence, to be in his word, and to be so united with him that you have been so captivated by his heart that you can come out of his presence and do whatever's in your heart. And you will accomplish great things. You see, that's God's invitation to every one of us. And that's why faith, that's why faith is a call to action. Because when we come out of his presence, having been with the Father, <laughs> our hearts are going to overwhelm with all kinds of things that we could be doing for the kingdom. And we're going to step out and do them, and great things are going to happen. Because we've been with the Father. Because we've been with the Father. One of the things that was noted about Jesus and about his disciples is that they had, he had been with the Father. He'd been with God. When Jesus was on the mountain, he was transfigured. Why? Because he was in the presence of the Father. And then when he came down from the, from the mountain, he was able to just speak to the demon-possessed boy, and immediately the demons left. Even though the disciples had tried and they couldn't do it, Jesus just spoke and he rebuked them for their lack of faith. But really, what is he saying? He's saying you need to be with the Father. You need to walk in the anointing because you've been with the Father. You've heard from the Father. And when you have, you'll speak to that thing and it will be moved. Why? Because you've been with Daddy. And Daddy is vulnerable to the things that are in your heart when you've been with him. And the closer, just think about it. It makes so much sense. The closer your own children walk, to you and they understand your heart and your vision and your passion and they want to be part of it and they want to change the world, you are going to bend over backwards to make their dreams come true. Right? You will sacrifice anything to see the passion that's in their heart fulfilled. Why? Because they're one with the Father. They're walking with the Father. Lord, I just thank you for the revelation of your scripture today. That Lord, your will for my life is that I would get so close to you that I could come out of your presence and do what I please. 
that I could come out of your presence and in doing what I please will please the Father. That I've been so close to you that, Lord, sin would be the furthest thing from my heart. It would not even register in my mind. But, Father, being with you, I would be changed and I would have plans and dreams in my heart that would change the world. Father, I ask today that, God, you would take this word and that, Lord, you would, you would use it to encourage people to go out and by faith change the world in which they live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I trust the Lord bless you today. If you're, if you're on our, our website, you can find a link there that Pastor Mark is going to be there, and he's, he's there to pray with you today. If you want to just talk about the message today, he's there to talk with you about the message. If you want to receive prayer, there's people online with him that they'd love to pray with you today. Uh, we, we're doing the best we can to work with the restrictions that are here in place. And we're just so grateful that we're seeing victory and that God is overcoming. And uh, everybody say with me this morning, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And how we have functioned and operated in this time will be a testament to the glory and the honor of God. Bless you. Have an amazing week in Him today. Thank you for being with us here at Desert Street. Hey, everybody. Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you received something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season. We love you. 